You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Well, today we get to start part two of a series that we began last week uh, called The Habits of Happiness. And I will, again, stay true to my promise that I will try to be happy throughout this message. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But I'd like to start out with a little something funny this morning. Uh, I like doing that with y'all because I feel like sometimes you either laugh at me or laugh with me. I don't know which one, but I really don't care. As long as you're laughing, it's fine. But I heard about this 93-year-old man. He wasn't really feeling up to par. You may have heard this before. And he went to the doctor for a checkup. A few days later, the doctor saw him out in the park walking, and he said, Wow, he said, you look like you're feeling better. He seemed as happy as could be. He said, yes, doctor, I'm just taking your orders. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. He had a young lady sitting right beside him walking with him. and She was beautiful. And he said, yes, I'm taking your orders. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. He said, no, you didn't hear me just well. I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur. Be careful. All right, that's a happy story to start off with this morning, right? But today we're talking about how to be happy no matter what. How many know that challenges and, and, and problems can come in life and give us a little whirlwind, right? But there's a, there's a formula in God's Word that says we can be happy no matter what. Now, it's not an easy formula. It's not something we can just say, okay, as long as 2 plus 2 is 4. It's a formula that we apply to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Uh, but last week, we talked about loving and praying for and accepting people in our lives, praying for them and loving them, these people that God has brought in our lives. But if you remember, we also shared a couple of laws of happiness. The first thing was happiness is not a goal. Uh, you can search for your own happiness, but if it's selfish in motive, you won't ever be happy. The second thing we said was, my habits create my happiness. Would anybody agree with that? Your habits are your habits. They're not mine, and they create your lifestyle. They create your happiness. And then third, don't look for happiness because you won't find it. We have to create happiness. A lot of times in our lives, there's things that can go on that, that may seem really bad. And there are some things that are really bad in life. But we can also create our own happiness instead of just trying to look for it. Because you can look in all the wrong places. How many know that? But today, uh, no matter what, how can we be happy? And there's a quote there in your notes that says this, Life is full of obstacles, adversities, and challenges. But in every season... Happiness is possible. Now, before I tell you that, uh, you know, and, and start talking about how we can be happy, there's four common uh, barriers that, that are with happiness that can be associated with that. And the first one is pain. Everybody say pain. When you're hurting, it's hard to be happy. Would you agree? When you're hurting physically, when you're hurting emotionally, uh, when you're hurting spiritually even, uh, it can be hard to have a positive outlook on life. Would you agree with that? Anybody been there? You know, when I come to, to think about that, I looked at my mom's uh, documents last night on her uh, computer that I had backed up, and she had recorded the dates of surgeries that she has had. And there were 25 surgeries and dates that she has had in her life since I've been, most of them since I've been born. And through that, she has a very positive outlook on life. I've really never, never understood that that much. But my mom has a really good, positive outlook on life. Now, 
with that, she's been in a lot of pain. But somehow she has managed to stay happy through that pain. So I know it's possible. The second common barrier is people. How many know people can be frustrating? Last week we talked about if people aren't on your heart, they're on your nerves, right? If people aren't on your heart, you're not praying for them, guess what? They're going to be on your nerves, right? Picky people, irritating people, arrogant people, selfish people, all kinds of people can be a barrier to your happiness. The third thing is pressure. When you're under pressure, it can be hard to be happy. When that deadline's coming and your boss says, hey, you have to have to, this turned in by tomorrow, and he just told you five minutes ago, uh, you know, pressure can add to it. When the bills are coming, pressure can be added, and it's hard to be, be happy. Would you agree? It can be around us. It can be our family that has pressure added. It can be internal pressure, external pressure. Pressure can cause us not to be happy. And the fourth thing is, is problems. Problems can be a barrier to our happiness. There's all kinds of problems in our life that we will face. And they can be a barrier to happiness. Now, Paul had all kinds of problems that we're talking about. The Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Philippians that we're about to read from. If you want to turn your Bibles, it's Philippians chapter 1 again, verses 12. And I'm going to go through about verse 27. But Paul had a lot of problems. And if you'll read along with me, it'll be on the screen too. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That what has happened to me actually has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You see the positive outlook right there. I either eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain here in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as for one for the faith of the gospel. I'd like to stop right there. 
Now, I would like to remind you in, in this book of Philippians in the chapter 1, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's chained to a guard all day, every day. And if you know anything about royal guards, they do shift changes. Uh, I enjoyed watching the guards change in London when I was there. It's an interesting experience, but the same can be similar of Paul. Uh, he was in jail the last four years of his life. You know, he was in jail for false charges, charges that weren't even true. He was shipwrecked. He ends up on a desert island. He's stranded. He gets bit by a snake. He had problems, right? He had all kinds of problems. But he had every reason to be bitter and unhappy. Yet he chose to be happy. He chose to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he writes the majority of the New Testament from prison, from chains. And he writes that. But the key verses there is verse 12 and 27. And I'm going to focus on those because I know that was a good, good passage of Scripture. Verse 12 says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And then in verse 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. How many know that that's a tough challenge? It's a tough challenge, especially when Paul's in prison. He's saying, walk and conduct yourselves manner worthy of the gospel. Because Paul didn't compromise even though he was in prison. Paul didn't compromise to get in prison. He was falsely accused. And he's telling them to stay encouraged, be of good faith, because whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in your notes today, it says that you can find happiness in the hard places, and the point, first point that I'll make today is this. We can find happiness in hard places if we look at every problem from God's point of view. You know, it's hard to always look at a problem from God's point of view. It's hard when you lose a job to look at God's point of view on the situation, right? Because you're thinking of all these things that you have to be responsible for and you have to pay. What are the, all these things that are going to happen and you're having all these questions. I appreciate Paul's comment that says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, when was the last time we looked at a problem and said, wow, that problem happened to me for the advancement of the gospel? When was the last time we looked at that and said, wow, this problem right now is serving to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? What a game changer that is. What a game changer that is. What would we do if we had a problem in our life and we said, wow, wow, that advances the gospel of Jesus because of my suffering. And you know, we don't really think about it at the time, but we don't have that kind of perspective that God's had. Now, prayer can help us see the problem with God's perspective. Do you agree? Prayer can help us see that problem. And just like last week, we had some relationship things. We say we can pray for people who get on our nerves, right? When we have a conflict in relationship with a spouse or family or work co-workers, the first thing we need to do is step back and have a prayer, right? Have a prayer inside. Have a prayer with that person. Goodness, it'll help calm that argument right down. And the same thing is true with this. Anytime we face a problem and we want to look at it from God's perspective, there are two things that, we can, that can happen. The first thing is this. It can be a witness 
to unbelievers. When we look at a problem from God's perspective, it can be a witness to unbelievers. How many know that that's important? The way you handle problems in life can determine the salvation of someone. In fact, in Paul's life, it was the stoning of Stephen that was kind of the turning point after, you know, obviously he met Jesus. But in his heart, he was prepared for that encounter with Jesus. Because Stephen, when he was being stoned, said, Lord, don't hold this against them. Which is the same thing that Jesus said, right? Lord, don't hold, them against, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. And so our problems, the way we handle that, can turn someone on to Christ. It can lead them to Christ Jesus. The second thing is it can be an encouragement to believers. So not only can it be a salvation message, a witness to unbelievers, it can also be an encouragement to believers. How many have had any kind of story in your life where you know someone who went through a problem and it encouraged you that they had faith, they kept the faith, and said, wow, they were so faithful to God, they were so faithful to the church, even though they had a really rough problem in their life. It's an encouragement to us. Paul writes, And because of my imprisonment, many Christians have become more bold in telling others about Christ. It causes others to rally around with boldness and power. And in your life and in my life, when we handle a problem in a way that honors God, and we see it from a perspective of God, we can be a witness to unbelievers, and we can be an encouragement to those who already believe. And did you think that God in your life could use the problem for someone else's good? Because at the time, it seems like, man, this is a terrible thing. I've often shared the story about when I went, uh, was out of work and looking for a job, and it's very discouraging. But the first day I got to Grace Covenant in Cornelius, I was at the office. I didn't even have an office at the time. We weren't even at that point where we set me up anything. But there was a couple who came in who he had just lost his job. He had just lost his job. He was very educated, very qualified at his career field, and he couldn't find work. And it was just so amazing that God, right there in that first moment, would use that story, would use that problem that I had two years before, and use it for someone else's good because it was encouraging for them. And after talking with him and emailing back and forth and counseling with him, guess what? He got a job. He was restored. It took about six months. I was able to help them through that process because of a problem that I went through. And in your life, you have problems. We all do. But those problems can help someone else. Those problems can help encourage someone else. Or they might even reach them for the cause of kingdom. So not only do we have to look at every problem from God's point of view, but point number two today is this. Never let others decide your attitude. Never let others decide your attitude. Because you don't need other people's approval to be happy. You don't need other people's approval to do what God's called you to do. You just need God's approval. And there's a lot of things in life that we can't control, but you can always control your outlook and your attitude. You can always choose how to respond, how we look at things, our perspective. Paul even writes of this. He says, it's true that some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Verse 15. But others, he says, out of goodwill. So he said there's some that are envious, jealous. There's some that are doing it right. And then the latter do so out of love. Verse 17. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, stirring up trouble for me while I am in chains. Stirring up trouble while I am in chains. So here, Paul's calling out some people who are doing some pretty bad things. 
and some pretty different things in this uh, gospel for their own gain. And there's four types of people in your life. I have just four types here that can impact your attitude. And the first thing is critics. People that are critical can impact your attitude. Would you agree? We talked last week a little bit, and I mentioned cooking. Sometimes when you're cooking a meal, and maybe it's not the best, a critical word can erase the whole meal, right? It can erase all the work you did. Do you agree with that? Have you ever had? I, I, last time I asked the moms, did they ever have that experience? And a lot of them said, yes, I do. A critical word can really take that gusto of wind out of you, right? A critical word can do that. There's also comrades. Those are those people that rally around you. Paul talked about them too. They, they're doing good things. So there's critics and then there's comrades, people who are on your side. There's competitors, insincerely uh, promoting the gospel for selfish uh, desire. Have you ever heard someone preaching the good news of Christ for their own gain? Or trying to raise money for their own gain? Those kinds of things can destroy a good attitude. Now, do you, if you live near neighbors, you might have some competitors that live nearby. My neighbor, if I cut my grass, he'll go out the next day and cut his grass. If I put fertilizer on my yard and make it look green, he's going to put fertilizer on his yard and make it look green. He's going to try. Now, that's a competitor, right? But that's friendly. We like each other. Wesley's cool. But in your life, you may have some competitors that aren't so friendly. They might knock you down in the process of trying to get to a goal. They might climb that ladder, so to speak, very fast. Well, my kid was a student of the month at Folsom Prison. Oh, my kid was student of the month that states why, whatever it might be, you know. you got those people that are always competing, and competing can destroy an attitude. The last group of people is called conspirators. They are ones who gossip and stir up trouble. And my goodness, if there isn't anybody in the church that stirs up trouble, it's conspirators. Nothing can destroy a church faster than those who promote a selfish gain and a gossiping attitude, right? Have you ever seen that? I'm sure most of you have, because it's prevalent. But out of all these people, Paul says this. They gossip, they stir up conspirators. But verse 18, he closes it all out and he says this, but what does it matter? There's people that's going to do you wrong, folks. There's people that's going to do me wrong. There's people that ain't always happy all the time. They're going to pull you down and drag you down. It's a matter of who you want to hang around. But in verse 18, he says something very profound. He says this, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether it be for false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, or I am glad, or I am happy. He is taking solace and rejoicing in the fact that somebody is preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to just harp on this for just a second. I'm not arguing theology this morning, but there's a lot of preachers on television that you can, some people say, are for selfish gain, whatever. But if the gospel of Christ is being preached, Paul's saying right here, it does not matter. He's saying the important thing is that Christ is being preached, he is being glorified, and for that I rejoice. You know, we can have a perspective about a certain preacher that we like or a certain preference of music that we like. But again, like we said last week, the most important thing to focus on is from God's perspective to say his gospel is being preached and somebody might be touched by that. 
Somebody might be forever changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that Christ is being preached. The third way we can find happiness in hard places is if we always trust God. Always trust God. In our lives, it is very difficult to always trust God. Is anybody else struggling, has ever struggled with that? It's difficult to put our faith and our trust in a God that we cannot see. But we can often feel. It's very difficult. This always trust in God means I'm not going to try and work it out for myself. There's a faith factor here. Remember the verse that says we walk by faith and not by sight? That's exactly what it's talking about. Faith and trusting in God can help us when we face hard situations. You know we have two options when we go through a situation or a problem. We can worship or we can worry. We can worship or we can worry. When we face a problem in life, we can worship Almighty God. We can focus on Him, the author and finisher of our faith, who has always been faithful. Or we can worry. You can pray or you can panic, right? You can pray or you can panic. Philippians 1.19 right there says, I, yet I, will continue to rejoice. So no matter what's going on around me, no matter who's talking bad about me, no matter what's going on, I will continue to rejoice because my faith and my trust is in Almighty God. Now there can be four, uh, four perspectives, four sources of strength in tough times. And those things, real quickly, are God's perspective, people praying for me, the Holy Spirit that helps me, and then faith. Again, there's four sources of strength in tough, tough times, and this is not in your notes. I'm giving you bonus points today, right? Give me a lot of bonus points today because this will help you this week when you're dealing with problems. The first thing is God's perspective, and that can keep us going because He knows what's going on more than we do. Would you agree? He knows more than I go. Goodness gracious. People praying for me, a mom, a dad, a family member, a grandfather, grandmother. Some of you remember uh, some of those stories, grandmothers praying for you. Some, some may not have that. It may be a pastor, a leader, a teacher that prays for you. Whatever it is, people are praying for you in tough times. The Holy Spirit helping me, coming alongside of the parakletos. And then the last thing is faith, that God will work it out for good. And I love the verse in Romans chapter 8, 26. We're talking about trusting in God. It says it's in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to your purpose, to His purpose. And I got news for you today. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? If you're not dead, you're not done. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And when you're weak in those moments where you really don't know where to turn, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And lastly today, we're going to stay focused on our purpose, not our problem. We're going to stay focused on our purpose, not our problem. Paul says this, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. What does that mean exactly? It means even when life's falling apart, even when I'm in prison, even when I'm threatened, 
with any kind of threats on my life or there's job security threats or anything, it's better for me, he says, to live as Christ and die as gain. He wants to be living for the cause of Christ Jesus. Because when we focus on our problem, we can magnify it. We can make it bigger than what it is. We can make it huge. I'm giving a little joke to Bernie. We had a good time at men's retreat this weekend. Uh, but focusing on your purpose, not your problem, is very important. Paul was very good about that. I just can't imagine being chained up, beaten, tortured, and all these things, not having access to really much of anything. And he's still so positive and optimistic that the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward. Let me tell you something else. It doesn't cost us anything in America to be Christians. It really does not. The reason why gospel is spreading so rapidly in other countries is because it costs them something. It costs them their life. It costs them their reputation. It costs them their families oftentimes. It costs them something. Paul had given absolutely everything in his life for his purpose. And it became his problem. But it wasn't what drove him. What drove Paul was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is chained to a guard, like I said, He's under intense supervision every hour of the day. But there's purpose in his pain. There's purpose in his suffering. And in many times in our life, there's purpose in our pain and in our suffering. And so in closing today, I just want to use this description of the word advanced. When he says, everything I do is for the advance of the gospel, the word advance in the Greek here is actually a term to describe blazing a trail before an army. Blazing a trail before an army. Advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was blazing a trail before the army. You are the army that Paul was blazing the trail for. That's what I'm trying to get you to see today. The advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is our job. It's our purpose. It's why we were placed on this earth. is to promote the good news of Christ. So Paul saw these events as forging a new territory for the gospel. In your life, I guess I'll use this last, last verse here. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. Focus on your purpose, not your problem. In, in your life, for me to live is blank. It should be Christ. But what actually is it? For me to live is sports. For me to live is golf. For me to live is hunting. For me to live is trucks and whatever it is, shopping. Whatever you can fill in the blank. Video games, television. Whatever it is, it could even be work and good things. But for me to live is blank, fill in the blank. But how you fill in that blank determines how happy you're going to be in life. What are you living for? And point number four, we're talking about purpose. We're talking about purpose. And Paul's purpose, as we said, was advancing the gospel of Christ. Because you weren't created to just make a bunch of money, die, and give it all away. That's not what we were created for. We were created to spread the good news of Jesus Christ 
to care for those who need caring for and to have a purpose. God didn't create us without a purpose. And I'll close with this. There's two verses that we started with today. And that was verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel of Christ. And in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In our life today, we have problems, as we said at the beginning. We have things in our life that can detract from our happiness. But it's important for us to stay focused on our purpose, not our problem. Would you stand today? Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's in chains in this prison, and he wants us to know that there is purpose in his suffering. There is purpose in his problem. And today you can have that same purpose. Maybe today you're here and you have not accepted Christ in your life as Savior. And I'll tell you today that that's one of the most important decisions you could ever make in your life. And it's not always going to be a happy trail. It's not always going to be hunky-dory. There's going to be problems. But when you have problems in your life, you can remember your purpose, that God put you here to win souls, to help people who are hurting and broken. Would you pray with me? Father, today we thank you so much for the Word of God. It's living and acting, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. It, it cuts, Lord, between spirit and flesh. And so today, God, it divides what's good and what's bad in our heart. So today, Lord, we ask you to just come into our heart right now and provoke, uh, God, what things we need to be aware of as it relates to happiness. Because you, you didn't create us to be miserable. You didn't create us to be miserable people walking around. Because if we're miserable people walking around, God, we're just like the world. There's nothing different with us as a Christian if we're walking around miserable. Because you gave us a purpose. You gave us a plan. God, help us to stay purpose-driven in our life. God, help us to remember that we're here to advance your kingdom. And so, God, today we can be happy even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of problems. So no matter what goes on in our life, Lord, you have created us with a purpose, and you've created us with a heart to be happy. And so, God, today, even as hard as it is to remain positive in this negative world we live in, with all the critics around us, the media, God, everything, everybody trying to tear each other down. Help us to build people up. Help us to encourage one another. As God, as we said, there's two options. It can be a witness to unbelievers or an encouragement to believers. Our problems can. And so, God, we pray that our problems in our life we would handle would be both. God, use problems in my life to be an encouragement to other believers. God, use problems in my life to be a witness to unbelievers so that they may come to know you and your grace and your mercy. So today, Father, we pray for everyone in this room, God, that they would accept you in their heart, first of all, Lord, as Lord and Savior of their life. He would take number one role in their life. And then those who already accepted you, Lord, that you would show them and help remind us of our purpose. That you would daily remind us of our purpose. God, let us start with prayer. God, so we can stay in proper perspective of what our life should be like. In Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.